0: We encourage you to take out your outlines. We encourage you to take out God's word and uh, turn over to Esther, the book of Esther. Back there in the Old Testament where your pages are stuck together. Esther chapter 2, unless you have a phone, right? Esther chapter 2, as we talk about the call to be a resilient disciple. And I want to start out with a picture of Hayden Philpott on the screen. You see Hayden up there, right? Coming, coming. There he is. Okay. So you think about this. Here's a young man. He's in high school, dressed for the day, T-shirt, shorts, everything's normal. But one thing that captured my heart was here's a young man who is standing there in September at CU at the pole. He was by himself. Praying for his school, students, administrators, teachers. And on a day when kids all over the world are gathering at polls and praying, he stands alone. I think of what his mom, Stacy Philpot, said. She said, My son says at first, he thought he would simply pray until someone else came along. But as the minutes slowly passed, no one came, <clears throat> he was solo in public, so he was exposed. He was abandoned, maybe a little embarrassed. At these crucial points in life, when plan A folds, I'm guessing most people would just walk away and then later many of us would probably have a few choice words for our friends who didn't show up. Typically these things end badly. But Hayden didn't fold, he didn't leave. When plan A went south, Hayden had enough grit to move to plan B. His mother Stacy says again, eventually he realized no one else was coming. Then the cry of his heart changed. He asked what God would do, would do something with his standing alone. She said the little boy had rocked to sleep in a blue airplane pajamas when he was sick. The toddler who loved Elmo and couldn't go to sleep without holding the veggie Tale characters in his hands had captured the attention of their community by standing alone, by doing everything we'd ever taught him, everything he'd ever hoped, we'd hoped he would be. I was completely undone as a mother. This morning, I want to talk to our dads and all of us, for that matter, about striving to be a resilient disciple like Hayden Philpot. This young man in this moment understood enough of his identity in Christ and enough desire to play to an audience of one that he made a stand to be alone and stand alone for Christ at his school. The question before us today is, what would we have done in Hayden's position that September morning when we stood at the school by ourselves with people driving by? Your friends coming in, looking at you. We're going to look at three narratives from the book of Esther and see how Mordecai interacted with Esther to teach her and encourage her to stand for grace and truth in a very dark and corrupt culture. So here's the background. We don't have time to go in depth. This is a great book. It's 10 chapters. I encourage you to read it sometime at one sitting. It's a very dramatic narrative, and uh, it's very interesting as we go through. But this is interesting that the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God. And yet, you see a sovereign hand at work all throughout this book. Esther was Mordecai's uh, aunt and uncle's daughter. The aunt and uncle had passed away, and so Mordecai took Esther in to raise her and become her de facto father. Mordecai was a devout Jew and sought to do what was right, and he stood in the gap for his Jewish brothers and sisters. There's a lot of details in this book that we don't have time to go into, but I encourage you to read it. As I said, in the crux of this book, as we look at a few sections today, is this. The Jews are in exile in Babylon. Esther becomes a queen after being chosen by King Artaxerxes of Babylon, and they marry. Esther, never discloses her ancestry, being Jewish. And to be fair, the king never asks her what her ancestry is. Haman, a high administrator in King Artaxerxes' court, is anti-Semitic and feels disrespected by Mordecai, because when he walks by, Mordecai is the only one that doesn't bow down and worship him as an administrator in King Artaxerxes' kingdom. Haman gets the king to sign an irreversible decree that on a set date, the Babylonians would get to annihilate all the Jews and collect all their possessions for themselves. King Artaxerxes signs the decree not realizing that Queen Esther is of Jewish descent. And now let's read the challenge Mordecai gives to Queen Esther, who he has raised as his daughter. Esther chapter 2, Esther chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried, carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure, and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her in as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Hagi, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Hagai who had charge of the women. And a young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with cosmetics and a portion of food, and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that's in the word. I pray that you will give me freedom and clarity to express your truths today. Lord, it's not my words, but your words. And we pray your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and lives as we break forth this word of eternal life. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Mordecai was standing on the promise made to Abraham that God's people would be a nation, that he was to do everything he was supposed to do to protect that group of people, even though they were in a culture far, far away from home. The first thing you see on your outline is persistently, persistently stand on Bible's authority. You see, Mordecai knew his identity. He knew who he was. And I believe we don't get it from the story that he was a faithful follower of Jehovah, of Yahweh. And he knew that he was to help carry out and protect and follow the promise of Abraham. You know, I've been praying for the last couple of years for wisdom on how we as church leaders, as pastors, as elders can come up with a way to build disciples that are culture proof. Disciples who know the word of God and are willing to engage the culture with a spine and a heart a spine being built on the foundation of God's word and and not caving in on any of our convictions and the truths of the word and having a heart that speaks the truth in love to people at the same time. In the book, Resilient Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church by the former Awana CEO Valerie Bell and two other authors, they came up with a definition of what a disciple of Christ should be going forward in this culture and how to develop kids and adults to be resilient Christ followers. Here's the definition, spiritual resilience is a quality that describes the spiritual elasticity of a child or adult. In other words, the resistant strength to bend and flex, but not break against the weight of the culture. I love that definition. Because we have to bend, we have to give, but we don't, we don't break, we don't put all our cards in and give up. It's the restraint resistance strength to bend and flex but not break against the weight of the culture. And the goal is to be able to understand, to process and stand for truth no matter what the current issues that challenge God's authority comes our way. Satan's done a masterful job as of late to bring out in the open the last 15, 20 years all the issues. And he's thrown a lot of issues at the church and at the believer. And one of the things, that's kind of like playing whack-a-mole as a leader. What ones do you deal with at that time? And that's what Satan wants us to do, to be confused. He's done a masterful job at that. Make no mistake that these issues we face go contrary to Scripture, and the people who espouse them are merely doing Satan's bidding, many of them ignorantly but some willfully challenging the authority of God. So don't get mad or upset with people who attack Christianity and God's Word, because it really doesn't come from them. As we talked about in Vacation Bible School this week, keepers of the kingdom, putting on the armor of God. One of the verses that was talked about, these two verses in Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. There's a challenge in there. Are we doing all we can to stand firm? 1 John 4:4 gives us a great promise. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We already have the victory. We should walk in confidence. We have the armor of God as we laid out this week in Vacation Bible School and all the, the parts of it and what they represent. So the first subpoint here is know the word, believe. In the book, Resilient Disciple, he talks, they talk about, first of all, believing. Believing, standing on God's word. Second Timothy 2, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, do your best. In the King James, I memorize it as study. Study to show yourself approved. The Greek word there is spudazo, which means to endeavor, to do diligence, to give diligence, to labor, to study, to know God's word so we will not be ashamed and we will know the truth. Do we believe God's word to the point that our whole life, Our decision-making, our values and convictions are based on the truths of this word. It's true that the Bible is not a science book, but when the Bible speaks about science, it's accurate. It's true that the Bible is not a book of anthropology, the study of man, but what the Bible does tell us, it gives us a biblical anthropology of man from God's perspective, and it speaks truth. The Bible and its principles speak to every situation and issue in life, even in an ever-changing culture. And just a side note, as I think about so many churches who are trying to cave in and be relevant to the culture, the thing they have to remember is they're always going to have to be caving and adjusting, caving and adjusting, and where is the foundation if you're doing that? Matthew 5.18 says, For truly I say to you, Jesus said, Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, until all is accomplished. Think about that. Think about all the prophecies that you read in the Old Testament. Not only just about Jesus, but many things, and how many all of them have come true. But then we read Revelation and Joel and the prophecies to come and other parts of the Bible. And because those prophecies have all been fulfilled accurately, we have the confidence that it's going to happen in the future. That's why it says here that the only thing that's going to be eternal in heaven is our souls, but also the word of God. The word of God will never pass away. Romans 3, 4, Paul said this, Let God be true and every human being a liar. So if people speak contrary to the word of God, Match it up and see if they are believers or if they are preaching a false teaching. Second of all, know the power of the word under this point. Belong. Community. Fellowship. This book, Resilient Discipleship, talks about finding our identity in Christ at the center, believing in the word as the foundation, but belonging to a community of believers that are based on the power that comes from the word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The word of God through the Holy Spirit goes right to our hearts and brings conviction when we need to come to faith in Christ. Conviction when we have sin in our life to point it out to us. It challenges us. The Word of God comforts us. It encourages us. It gives us wisdom and guidance and teaches us the Word of God and teaches us what we need to be doing with our lives. We find power in the Word in our personal study and our prayer time. When we pray back the Word of God, when we claim the promises given to each one of us by faith, we find a lot of power in the words that's preached on Sunday mornings as we go to our Connect group and Sunday school time, for our men's group, the ladies that meet, and chaos, and awana, and all these things. The power, the center focus is the word of God. So we need to gather to hear the word together. We need to be in community. Why is it important to not only do your personal devotions, but also to gather together and hear the word corporately in this setting or in a small group? Well, we need to recharge our spiritual batteries. We're out there in the world all week. We've heard all those values Those things at us, and we need to gather with people who have similar values, similar views of Scripture, and be encouraged to share with one another. Another thing we do is we gather to realize that we're not alone in this thing called the Christian life, and that people have our backs, to share our heartaches and our joys with people, to hear and encourage others as they share. You know the world, they cannot manufacture Christian fellowship and community I've been looking for this article that I pulled out a couple years ago, and I can't find it, but it was a story in Christianity Today about the Chinese government was so enthralled with the evangelical church and how they stick together, how they love one another, how they have unity and harmony. The Communist Party from China sent a group of people to go to evangelical churches to kind of figure out what's the sauce, you know, what is it that we could do to bring this back to China? And sad to say, when they went back and tried it, they couldn't do it. They couldn't manufacture what goes on in the church with brothers and sisters in Christ because they do not know Christ as Savior. You can't manufacture it. It's the Holy Spirit that brings us together, the power of the word. And then know the power of the word and live based on its truths, become. This is your behavior. This is your conduct. It's not enough to have the knowledge. It's not enough to read it but we're gonna be like a sponge and wring it out and let those truths go out of us to other people. When you understand God's word and stand on its truths and promises, you experience the power of the word in your life and spiritual power when you share it with others. But then you have to live it out as if your life depended on it. And brothers and sisters, our life does depend on our living out the word of God. You see, we are on a mission for God, not like the blues brothers. Okay, they were on a different mission for God. But we are on a mission for God like the apostle Paul he says in Romans 1:16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So as you grow in your faith, you find you're talking more and more like your heavenly father and Jesus. And the more you are invested in God's word and God's people, you start articulating the values and the teachings of God's word. I love being around my adult children because I remember my daughter said that she told us she would never raise her kids like we raised her. And then a few a couple of years ago she apologized and said thank you. <laughs> but I love it being around my kids because when I hear them talking to other people, I hear things come out of their mouth that they heard in Awana or heard at church or heard at home. And the more we're like our heavenly father, the more it comes out of us because we know him. In 2 Corinthians 3.3, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You and I get this. We are the living epistle. We walk around, we are the light of Christ, we are the salt of Christ. For some people, we're the only Bible that they may ever see in their lifetime. There are so many people in our culture that just do not know the word of God. And it's sad. And I was reading last night, a statement by Franklin Graham. Now get this, on Tuesday of this week on Jeopardy!, it was aired, there was a question In the Jeopardy question, it says, Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father who art in heaven, blank be thy name. All three contestants were silent until the buzzer. And then Franklin Graham said this, Twitter erupted with Jeopardy fans who were surprised that three smart contestants were unable to fill in the blank with the word hallowed from the Lord's Prayer. We've lost so much biblical literacy and basic awareness of the things of God's word this moving away from biblical values will equal double jeopardy for our nation. Great quote from Franklin Graham. We need to realize that the people we're engaging, many of them have no idea who Adam and Eve and Noah and the ark and all these things are. But when we fully believe God's word and take God at his word, and we stay in community and find that we where we belong with God's people, then we practice from a place of identity in Christ and confidence, we are becoming resilient Christ followers that will bend but not break. That will live with a loving heart of grace and truth for those who are still on their way, on their spiritual journey to finding Jesus as their savior. So here's the application for this point. Are you standing on the promises of God's word and living out your identity in Christ? Are you standing on it? It's one thing to know it, but are you living it? Is it made it from your head to your heart and your Behavior reflects what you believe. Dads, as we lead our family by being persistently standing on God's authority found in His Word and the Holy Spirit, we need to pray about what we will say in those times when our faith and our convictions are challenged. Here's our second main point. Pray. Pray for God's timing to stand and speak. Notice Esther's hesitancy as we turn back to Esther chapter four now, a couple chapters over. Esther four, look at verse six as we advance in this story. Esther four, six. Hathak, now that was the attendant that was assigned to Esther. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries For the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants. And the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come in to the king these 30 days. So Esther had a dilemma. What was going to happen He didn't know I was a Jew. He didn't know this decree had been given to annihilate all the Jews in the sense that it was gonna affect her and her people. So she had to count the cost, to count the cost. And you and I, we need to count the cost as well when we're faced with the challenge to our faith and our convictions. We see in the news all the time, Christ followers losing their jobs or demoted over lovingly practicing their faith in the public square on their own private social media sites. Just a couple weeks ago, a Toronto Blue Jays pitcher showed a biblical video of of his view, of of a friend's view of God's design for marriage, and he ended up having to apologize, and he got demoted to the minor leagues for a period of time. Pastor Brian, Bill, and I, we had no idea what to expect when we went down to the site of the the Davenport, the collapsed building building down there in, da- in, in, in inner city Davenport. And we felt the Holy Spirit encouraging us to go and see if we could minister to people. And as we were praying with people, we had people opposing us for even being there. Living for Jesus is becoming riskier and riskier each and every day. The opposition is trying to pry the door open to attack Christ followers in the church for not complying primarily with the LBGTQAI plus and all the other things you could add on to that, that we don't comply to that agenda. And what I'm really grieved at, and I got this book when I was down in Dallas last year, Dallas Theological Seminary. Here's a book, 320 pages of people and Christians, supposedly, who attack and try to make the case for same-sex marriage being a biblical truth and concept. We have to stand strong on our convictions. Second of all, consider the conviction of your heart. In Matthew chapter 10, it tells us, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Then notice what it says, what's gonna happen, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child and children will rise against parents And have them put to death. There's going to be division of families. There's going to be breaking of relationships as we stand true to the convictions of God's word. Thirdly, we need to care more about what God thinks than man. This is where we get people trying to do the spiritual gyrations and reinterpretation of scripture. Because they want to please man. They want to fit in but we need to remember what 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. I don't know about you, but as a believer in Christ, in 2 Corinthians 5:10 it says, I'm gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Guess what? No one else is gonna be there. It's gonna be me and God. And that's who we will answer to. And I keep that thought in my mind all the time. I think of this picture of Jonathan Isaac. Here he is standing here, number one. And you might remember back when they did the NBA playoffs in the bubble down in Orlando during COVID. No fans, just the officials, coaches, some administration to record the games. And you remember all this was going on with Black Lives Matter and so here is Jonathan Isaac, with number one on his uniform, standing while everyone else is disrespecting the national anthem. He said this, as a Christian, he says, we can be proud of what we believe in. We don't have to hide or be ashamed of it. As the day continues to get darker and darker and crazier and crazier, you're standing up for what you believe is only going to get harder, but it's only going to become more and more necessary. I put that in your notes on the back page, this quote. It's gonna become more and more necessary, even if we don't see fruit, even if we're persecuted. It's gonna be important, and I'm thankful that Jonathan Isaac is standing up for Christ. So are you willing to be a Hayden Philpott or Jonathan Isaac? We need to speak in a way that stands firm on the truth, but in a loving and heartfelt means. In a great book called Resilient Faith, by Gerald's sister, talks about how the early believers, what did they do? They were in a far more corrupt culture than we are. And they had a choice. They could isolate themselves away or they could become relevant and cave into the culture around them because all the inscriptions said that Caesar was the king of kings and the lord of lords. You see, they weren't upset about whether they worshiped a god, but when you said that he is the king of kings, and the Lord of Lords, that was the problem for those in the Roman society to be Christians. The third way is to lovingly show grace and truth and meet the needs of the people. That's what turned the Roman Empire around for Christ. Think about it, the Christians elevated women. They weren't just possessions of men or necessary means to procreate, but they elevated them. When they threw their babies out with the trash because it was disabled or it wasn't the gender they wanted, it was the Christians who came at night to scoop up those kids and develop orphanages and raise them. When the Romans left and plagues were occurring and they left the sick in town, it was the Christians who ran in, giving their lives in some cases to minister to those people. And hospitals were developed and people saw that. Humility which was considered a weakness in the Roman Empire became a virtue. Forgiveness, as Tim Keller writes in his book, Forgiveness, becomes a virtue under Christianity instead of a sign of weakness. These are just some of the things how we can take a third way approach to make a difference in our culture. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous Lutheran pastor during World War II, says, "'Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. "'God will not hold us guiltless, Not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act. The application, when the time comes to speak up about your faith, will you be ready to speak with grace seasoned with salt? Grace seasoned with salt. Persistently stand on the Bible's authority, pray for God's timing to stand and speak, and lastly, proclaim the truth with a heart of love unashamedly. Look at Mordecai's challenge, and you know this. You've looked at this scripture numerous times. The challenge Mordecai gave to Esther in Esther 4, 12. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said, that she might die as she considered going in to see King Artaxerxes. And then he says in verse 13, And Mordecai told them the reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the Jews. Hey, when he finds out you're a Jew, guess what? The decree is written and no one can turn back the decree because he swore on it and he put his signet ring on the decree. For if you keep silent, verse 14, at this time, relief, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've come not to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to the reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. We see intensity with consistency. Intensity with consistency. Like David, talking to his brothers when he came to bring them some food as they were contemplating what to do about this nine foot plus giant, Goliath. He says to his brothers and the Jews around who are fearful and afraid to attack Goliath, is there not a cause? We think of Ezekiel as he talks about someone standing in the gap for Israel to be a watchman who shares and alarms people of the truth and prepares them to be a watchman. Think of Joseph and Job who never gave up in the face of seemingly insurmountable circumstances. Habakkuk 3 says this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, the prophet said, I will rejoice in the Lord, I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. Think about Paul. Can you imagine he's on a missionary journey? He's planting churches. He's mentoring leaders for the be the leadership of the church and to plan other churches. Then he gets arrested and the flip of a switch, he changes his whole thought process. He says, All right, I guess I'm on prison ministry now, God. In Philippians 1, he says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Not saying he was jumping up and down excited about being in prison, but he saws an opportunity. He says so that it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest, and my imprisonment is for Christ. As I've said many times, can you imagine? You've got an eight-hour shift with the Apostle Paul, and you're not a believer. Guess what you're going to hear for eight hours, right? And so the whole imperial guard knew Paul because he changed his perspective. When life hands you lemons, make lemonade. And then intentionality with conviction. Intentionality with conviction. We think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we think about how they were faced with bowing before the image, the, the image that Nebuchadnezzar had erected on his behalf that everybody should worship. And they say in verse 16, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, which we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But notice what he says, but if not, but if God chooses not to deliver us, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Think about that. Lastly, to illuminate with love. Illuminate means to to give knowledge, to teach, to share. Illuminate with love those around us. Understand that many people in our culture, young and old, as we said, are pretty biblically illiterate. Most have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And I was so thankful for Dave Elmore and other people throughout the week, as I was walking around taking pictures, sharing clear presentations of the gospel with the kids that were here for vacation Bible school. Remember that when you were, remember that when you're having a spiritual conversation that you need to start with the basics. Don't assume they know anything. And we through the Holy Spirit are explaining the word of God to them, mostly through our speech, but sharing how we live our lives, the choices and decisions we make. And how we deal with difficulties and suffering in our lives Colossians 4:6 says, "Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person as dads, kids need to see that we are resilient disciples, not perfect, but on the journey to learn and grow through life's experiences to stand strong on the absolute unchanging truth of God In Jude chapter 1 verse three, the writer Jude wanted to talk about salvation and all the benefits of it. But he realized he had to take a side direction here a little bit, he said, beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You and I are called to contend for the faith. The application is here is are you armored up to contend for the faith and take your stand? Are you armored up to contend for the faith and take your stand? I just wanna remind you as we close, spiritual resilience is a quality that describes the spiritual elasticity of a child or adult, the resistance strength to bend and flex but not break against the weight of the culture. Our key thought here is that we are called to be grounded in the absolute truth of God's word in order to engage the culture around us with a spine Strong on the word of God, but a heart of love. A spine and a heart. That is so important. That's the balance. Jesus was full of grace and truth. We need to emulate that as well. I encourage you to look at those questions. But I want to close again with what Jonathan Isaac said, and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our fathers. He said, we can be proud of what we believe in. We don't have to hide or be ashamed of it. As the day continues to get darker and darker and crazier and crazier, you standing up for what you believe is only gonna get harder, but it's only gonna become more and more necessary. Will you be like Hayden Philpot? Will you be like Jonathan Isaac? Let's bow our heads and our hearts. Let's have all of our men, even if you're not a father, let's have all of our men stand in the room, please, as we pray. Father, help us, each one of us in this room as men, Most of us as fathers and grandfathers, but all of us as men, we are leaders. People look up to us, whether it's at a workplace, whether it's at a volunteer situation, whether it's in our home, wherever it may be. No matter where we go, we are a leader. People are looking at us. Help us to be impactful and engaging the spheres of influence of people around us for the truth of God's word, to be resilient disciples, to be unashamed of the gospel, to speak about our convictions and our beliefs seasoned with salt and grace and truth. Guide and direct us. Help us to be strong for you in this culture, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.